Thank you, thank you, Janet Lee. Absolutely superb. I loved it. And hello, everybody. Here we are again. This is uh, a little record-breaking thing for us. This is the second teaching on the same day. And this is uh, still, um, you know, Analog with Angels, uh, number six, uh, B. Last one was uh, uh, Analog uh, 6A. And this is uh, Analog 6B. And uh, we're going to get into some incredible uh, good stuff. Um, this next thing that I'm getting ready to share with you called uh, Resurrection of the Times. Um, I have never done this teaching before. Uh, I just I haven't gotten into it because um, it, it just had a lot of, uh, you know, deep understanding and uh, I just I've just waited, but now I'm I'm revealing it today, and it's extremely important for helping you to know the better the Bible better, especially the uh, famous chapter of um, Matthew 24, resurrection of the times. The Bible talks about a short time during the tribulation. It says in Romans 9:28, He will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make on the earth. And in Matthew twenty four twenty two, it says, Except those days, referring to the great tribulation, should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Now, there are three time periods. Some of the events repeat. Some of the events uh, overlap, uh, having what appears at first to be a similar episode. But there, there are differences in the intensity of those uh, episodes. And uh, we're going to look at um, starting right at Matthew Chapter 24, verse 1. Chapter 24, verse 1. And we're going to uh, have your eyes opened here. Uh, you'll find it uh, quite, uh, quite an opening for, for you uh, in a way that uh, you've not quite had that experience before. So it starts off, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and the disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See you not all these things? Now what's he talking about? He's talking about the buildings of the temple. There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be broken down. Now, he makes... A statement there and we're going to see how this fits into one of the the time uh, uh, zones that that we are re referring to if um, we look at these uh, various uh, situations we will see that there are uh, three different questions that the the disciples asked Jesus and uh, 
In verse 3 it says, As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him, saying, and now listen to these three questions. Tell us when these things will be. Question one. That is one time zone. Now what was he referring to? He just got through saying, see these buildings here? There will not be one stone left upon another. Question one. When will these things be? The one stone not be left upon another the buildings and everything be torn down of the temple. Next question. And what shall be the sign of your coming? Second question. Second time zone or time element. Next question. And of the end of the world. So what shall be the sign of your coming? What shall be the sign of the end of the world? Three different questions. Three different time zones. Now, as I said, some of these events sort of over splash one another. Uh, in, in the sense of being uh, having some similarities within them. For instance, the experience that it first talks about, this terrible destruction and, and that happened in, in, in 70 AD, in which the Romans came in and they destroyed uh, Jerusalem and the temple. Uh, that was a local tribulation. There is no question about that. That was a local tribulation to, to the people of Israel and Jerusalem. Then the next thing, and when will be the end of the world, this is referring to the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation is referring to a global situation. So that is very, very important. Okay, so we've got three different questions and for every question there are three different time zones if you can get this down and write this down if you can master this you will be loosened from all of the confusion and the muddle and the maze and the labyrinth that a whole lot of the Christian world is in when it comes to actually interpreting Matthew 24 and some of the corresponding scriptures that are in the other uh, Gospels that uh, coordinate to these uh, same scriptures. So now we've got three questions. When will these things be? Referring to the temple and not one stone left on another. Two, when shall be the sign of your coming? And three, and when will the end of the world be? Now I'm going to give you the scripture range. The scripture range, very, 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 very important. Make sure you've got pencil and paper. Write this down. 
Okay, here we go. The scriptural range for the first question, when will these things when will these things be? Is between Matthew twenty four get a hold of this verses one through two. One through two to the the reference that you need to definitely get down because if you don't get that down you just will not be able to understand Matthew 24 the second range what shall be the sign of your coming is Matthew 24 4 through 12. So everything that is speaking about from Matthew 24, 4 through 12 is the second range. And it goes along with the second question. What shall be the sign of your coming? Okay. And then... The last question and the last scriptural range and when will be the end of the or when will the end of the world be? And that one is going to go from Matthew twenty four verses thirteen through forty four. Verses thirteen through forty four. And here you have about the Great Tribulation, which is a global event. So within this chapter, there are three questions that are asked. And Jesus answers those three questions. And because they're asking him the time, he gives them via his teaching the explanation of, of what is actually going on. He's actually showing him, showing the disciples rather, uh, this incredible revelation that when you know this division of the scriptures and what they apply to, it just opens up the eyes, the mind, the scripture, and it is just absolutely awesome. So when we read in Romans 9.28, he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make on the earth. If you apply that now, you'll be applying it at the wrong time. If you applied that any other time until the great tribulation when this incredible, incredible destructive and, and, and horrible uh, conditions, which the Bible says such as has never, ever existed on the earth before, when that comes... That is what it's referring to, that God will make that to be a short time, because otherwise, Matthew twenty four twenty two says, except those days of the great tribulation, in parentheses, should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So one more time then. Question one, when will these things be? 
the destruction of Jerusalem it's speaking about. Matthew 24, verses 1 through 2. Second question, second uh, uh, scriptural range. What shall be the sign of your coming? Matthew 24, verses 4 through 12. Third question, and when will, be the, when will the end of the world be? Scriptural range. Matthew 24, 13 through 44. The Great Tribulation, the global effect, and the other redemptive stuff that happens for the sake of the, of, of the elect. Okay. So, <clears throat> we, we know that there are different kinds of, of, of things that the Bible talks about. Um, and um, we mustn't cut any of them short because they all have application. But every one of them is a major subject. And so what it talks about in that scripture I read to you earlier today, uh, Matthew 27, 50 through 53, about the graves that open when the earthquake takes place and Jesus says it's finished and the saints are, are resurrect. That's a particular kind of resurrection. And um, when... Uh, uh, Lazarus is brought forth, as I explained how the 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 seal and all that occurs and 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 is raised from the dead that 's a special kind of rev of revelation when Elijah uh, is taken up and uh, uh, he he 's taken up alive he, he doesn't he is not dead he he goes up as he is. The age he is, the way he is, in the chariots of fire, which are which are ziths, and is taken to the father's house. Okay, that is a special kind of resurrection. Then we know there's all the different kinds of hells that I mentioned to you earlier. One mentioned in Peter called the Tartaru, actually means incarceration into the human body. So what that means, the fallen angels, they fell into these human bodies and they're incarcerated in those human bodies. And so when the Bible speaks about the, the angels in Jude being bound in chains, it's talking about being bound in molecular chains. And, and when people read that, they think that oh, these, these angels are they're lost forever. There's no possible redemption. That's totally false. That is not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us in the 16th chapter of Ezekiel that Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that their captivity is going to get another chance. And the Bible talks about Christ, you know, descending and, and, and setting uh, the, the captive free to be captive. So that is really important to understand you know he doesn't he doesn't deliver them from the human body into which they are captive in they remain in the human body but they are moved from the earth to artura the father's house and uh, uh so so that is very very important to understand we've talked about the sleeps we've talked about the the bosoms there's the father's bosom there's the abrahamic bosom and then there's 
the rapture bosom mentioned in Isaiah 40:11, in which uh, there is a, a, a bosom for carrying, transporting those people uh, to Arturia, to, to Artura, to uh, the Father's house. And so there's those three kinds of bosom. Abrahamic bosom, mentioned in Luke 16.22. Uh, the Father's bosom, mentioned in John 1.18. And the rapture bosom uh, of the Ziths and angels carrying people uh, to, to their new home, mentioned in Isaiah 40.11. And then uh, at some point here we'll talk a little bit, if we have a chance, about the baptism of the dead. Uh, we've got to keep moving. Now, um, last week, I believe it was, we colored, we colored, we talked about uh, the colors of the resurrection. And uh, we, we went over, over that, I think, quite well. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to accentuate a couple points. Um, uh, in that, um, you know, uh, that particular place of of uh, where it was speaking about, you know the uh, uh, the different colors, and I think that was analog five when we first uh, introduced uh, that, uh, and we we want to just go briefly over that. We mentioned that the color purple was was a color one of the colors of the resurrection. Uh, we mentioned that uh, the color red was one of the colors of the resurrection. And we mentioned that white was one of the colors of the resurrection. And just to uh, establish this, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, they put a sign up that said King of the Jews over Jesus as he was on the cross. The the Jews, the priests, did not like that writing up there that he was king of the Jews. So they went to Pilate and they said, Say not he is king of the Jews. Say he that he saith he is king of the Jews. And Pilate said, What I've written, I've written. Then the soldiers put a purple robe on him. And it was basically a robe of death because that was all to sort of mock him because being a king, he needed to wear purple because that's a royalty number, royalty color. And so uh, at the same time that they were mocking him, they were fulfilling the word of God. Because purple was the color for uh, the royalty uh, robe of death and re resurrection. And that's what th that turned out to be. So he had a crown of thorns on his head, which was also destined for him to be to show his kingship. And he was told, a sign written that he was, uh, you know, the, the king of the Jews. And, uh, and he had the, the robe to show his class of being royalty. And so that alone, without mentioning all the other scriptures that I mentioned last week, in which we talked about Exodus 26, 1 and 26, 31 and 36 uh, of the hangings of the veil and of the curtains, how that they used the colors uh, blue, purple and scarlet. 
and uh, and the gate hangings mentioned in Exodus twenty seven sixteen and and uh, the garments uh, mentioned in uh, uh, Exodus twenty eight four through eight uh, ephod the robe the coat the girdle the mitre mitre uh, all of those of the blue purple scarlet color the royal color uh, so we we see in here then by this scripture that definitely purple is the royal color and and so like this applies then for the resurrection of a designated group of people who are considered to be in that uh, um, uh, disposition of royalty and the Bible says uh, he, that he will make those particular people to be kings and priests now, when you read that quite well, you find out that that does touch down on the Melchizedek ministry. And the Melchizedek ministry is the ministry that is, is the Arturian uh, uh, ministry of the Father's house. And so when we talk this purple robe resurrection, we're talking those who are being resurrected either on or to the Artura, the Father's house. And uh, that is what that is referring to. Then you go from there to the, to the, the red, and, and the red uh, is, you know, about um, uh, the red dragon, and it's also the color of blood. And so we got red for the, for the red dragon. We got the color of blood. The red dragon really does play an important part because it has to do with, with um, uh, you know, the fall of the angels because it was the red dragon that cast the angels with his tail to the earth. So we have there this first kind of, of descent and first kind of death, uh, which it, that the red dragon and the color red therefore uh, refers to and uh, even the red sea uh which was actually sea of weeds and 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 reeds um is we're told in psalms 136 13 through 15 that pharaoh's army died in the red sea so red is connected with death even the red horses of war that are mentioned in the bible uh, you know, all, all these things uh, reveal, just as Revelations 12.3 reveals about the, gr the great red dragon's tail casting one-third of the angels, uh, we, we see that there is definitely a resurrection, a red resurrection. So the purple resurrection is one thing, the red resurrection is another. And, uh, and it's, it's got a lot to do uh, with with those that are going to uh, resurrect uh, into the the space of of the um, of Drago, the red the red uh, dragon uh, that is described uh, in the starry heavens, which is between the two dippers, between the big dipper and between the little dipper, which we'll get into later, and so this is a particular kind of people that are going to be. Uh, are going to be uh, put there, and this is this is basically uh, people that um, that are um, 
involved in like uh the, you know they have over them the the possible threat of the second death they have not uh been judged yet but they are they are in that place this is the very place that lucifer in his mind calls hell heaven because um it is described in the ninth chapter of the book of Revelations. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the pit, and there arose smoke out of the pit, smoke of a great furnace, and the sudden air were darkened by the reason of the smoke of the pit. Now it seems uh, that wherever this pit is located, there is a a, a type of a sun. Uh, there is also uh, there is also uh, air, oxygen, and uh, so um, although they are, Lucifer is not allowed to actually go to to a solid ground planet. Uh, he has to abide in space. That is not a problem with him with his capability to build planetomes, uh, artificial uh, worlds, artificial earths, artificial planets. and and uh, But he's in an area where he has all of these various things that are, are open to him. He's involved in being able to go on with his creations uh, of, of, of the uh, uh, mantis people and... Um, uh, he's able to go on with, uh, you know, uh, other commandments that he's got. Uh, yeah, he is warned uh, that he's not to hurt the green grass of the earth or uh, any tree or any of those men which have not the seal of God in their forehead, uh, uh, neither any tree but only those men which have not the seal of God in their forehead. Any of those that have the seal, he has to leave alone. And uh, so, um, you know, uh, he's also has the power uh, of the scorpion. Uh, he's got all his tools in this place, you know. And um, uh, it, 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 he goes on to tell about these breastplates in verse 9 of the scorpions. These are uh, 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 their wings, the sound of chariots. This is new flying machines that, that he is making. And uh, he's got all kinds of things going for him. Uh, there's no question about it. Uh, and in fact, you know, the Bible explains that there is an angel uh, th that is also involved there, a top angel, uh, and, and uh, the, they are, is king, they are king of this bottomless pit. So uh, Lucifer, Satan, is not just terrified that he's in this place because he's got the key to it. He can come and go. And he can also do all his work. So he has turned this into his own kind of paradise. And there are all of these kings uh, that the Bible tells us that say, oh, how are you come where we are? How could you be here? How, you're, I thought you're the great person. How could you have fallen? Well, Lucifer turns this into a kingship. And he turns it into a great crea a creation hold. And so this is one of the, uh, you know, the types, the places of resurrection, 
You know, we're going to show the different places of resurrection that, that people will go to uh, if, Lord, we can have the time to get to everything. But he, we've got the scripture right here. Uh, we see how powerful that, uh, that Lucifer becomes uh, in, in this, uh, this, this place that uh, is described, you know, uh, when the fifth angels sounded. And I, and I saw a star fall from heaven into the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, the smoke of a great furnace. Now, um, I know there will be people who think that um, this bottomless pit uh, then must be on the earth. No, it is not on the earth. Uh, if it was on the earth, you know, and it was bottomless, then there couldn't be any earth's surface at one end of the earth to the other end of the earth that closed it because there would be no bottom that this could have. And such an effect and place as that could only be in space where there is nothing to be a cap, nothing to be a bottom. And, and, uh, but the, the reference, uh, you know, uh, uh, to, to him is that he did fall to earth. And, and that was is revealed in other scriptures. But while he's on earth, he is given the key to the bottomless pit. And then he becomes the prince of the power of the air. And, and we see then he is not on solid ground anymore because he's been penalized. But he, he makes it work. And he does an incredible job with it. And to him, it's... It's a, a heaven uh, because here he can do everything that he's wanted to do and be left alone until he gets it done. So that is the story of the red resurrection in part. Uh, some of these uh, uh, places of resurrection cross over into another place. There are certain circumstances where the red uh, might cross over into the white uh, because uh, the stage of which those persons involved uh, have been um, on trial and, and been uh, assessed for uh, being guilty, not guilty, being charged or not charged is uh, not finished. And so sometimes uh, they might, uh, a person that is going to end up in the red uh, you know, uh, hold uh, the red resurrection might, before he's in that definite order, uh, be in under the white resurrection. And the white resurrection, of course, is uh, very, very important. Uh, and I explained that to you uh, the other week when I told you about how that, you know, the, the, the day of the ancient days, the garment white as snow. Uh, and uh, Daniel 11.35, to purge, to make them white, even to the time of the end. And I read you all the scriptures of the angels uh, at the tomb sites dressed in, in white, uh, and and uh, the white, a great white throne, which is a judgment throne. Uh, and those, th this is they that came out of the uh, great tribulation, Revelation 7.14, uh, and uh, multitudes that couldn't be uh, numbered, uh, clothed with the white uh, robe. So this white is obviously an, the other kind of resurrection. 
and it's got to do uh, with this resurrection uh, that includes the redeemed, uh, that includes um, <clears throat> uh, all kinds of um, various individuals from different levels. Um, and uh, we'll, if we have the time, get into that more at a later time. Uh, but I've got so much to cover, I have to keep moving. It's very neat. I read this to you last week also. The New Living Bible uh, in Psalms 92.13 translates that verse and says, For they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. I find that just so absolutely interesting. They are transplanted to the Lord's house. And, uh, you know, uh, in John 151, it talks about angels uh, ascending and descending, uh, which ties in to the experience Jacob had of the latter ascending and descending. And those things are all uh, in comparison. So we've got John 151 compared to Genesis 28, 12, 16, and 22. So it's just one revelation on top of the other. The thing that's important, the Bible says in Revelations 2.11, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He that overcomes shall not be heard of the second death. We're going to get in the second death here after a bit, Lord willing, and talk about these, these uh, incredible things. You know, the baptism of the dead. You know, what can, we, what can we know about that? What can we say about that? Well, there are some, some really important things that, uh, that, that do apply. And that we, we do need to know about because uh, when uh, this baptism of the death is really explained, then uh, we need to know exactly what it means. It's not something to just pay no attention to. It's something to really understand. So, let's just cover a little bit of it. The scripture is found in 1 Corinthians 15.29. And it speaks about the baptism of the dead. Let me uh, just briefly turn there to 1 Corinthians 15.29 and uh, see if it's a little easier to understand when we you know, read a little bit of the scripture with it. Uh, I had some people today already indicating that reading the scripture like we did was really helpful to them. So, 1 Corinthians 15.29, it says, Or otherwise, or else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? Now this baptism of the dead is not minor. It is, a, it is an important major thing. And... Uh, here is a scripture that's an eye opener. Let's turn to 1 John 5:14 through 16. Five, uh, this is 1 1st, 1st John, not John the Gospel, but 1 but John. And let's look at this scripture, 5:14. Okay, here's what it says. And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything, According to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, 
then whatever, whatever, whatever we ask, whatever we ask, get hold of this, know that we have the petition that we desired of him. Whatever you ask, you're guaranteed a petition for that, for that, for that, that uh, asking. Verse 16, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, that means if, if he is not sin, sinned, uh, you know, against the blaspheming of the Holy Ghost, which is a non-pardonable sin, if he's not sinned that sin, then whatever sins he has sinned, he can be forgiven of them. It doesn't matter what those sins are. He can be forgiven as long as he hasn't sinned against the Holy Spirit. And it says, If a man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he should pray for that. This is so important. This means that even someone who has passed on, you can request, you can pray. If you are fairly sure that that person has sinned and, and has never repented and has never gotten right with God and has ended up going uh, into death and, and, uh, and that's all that you know, you can make a petition. You have the right to make a petition to petition for the life of that person, for the salvation of that person, for the redemption of that person. And, and that is a, a, a baptism of the dead. Now, now, the Bible says that all of the children of Israel were baptized unto Moses when they passed through the froth of the Red Sea. But they would have not been baptized. It would have just been they got a little bit damp when they passed through but it wouldn't have been a, a baptism you know which is a really important thing but because of the desire of Moses and he was out to to save those people to deliver those people it was his prayer and petition to God and so they were all baptized into Moses do you understand how that there are people out there that if you wish it, if you desire it, if you crave it, if you, if you love them with the love of God, that you have the power to make a petition. As long as they haven't sinned against the Holy Spirit. And it says that petition will be granted. They will be given, they will be brought, they will be brought, let me read it to you. If a man sees his brother sin a sin which is not to death, he shall ask, and he, God, shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. They're going to get life. So obviously if they don't have life, they're dead. And that's why it's the baptism of the dead. And these are people that can, that, that can be um, benefited with a better resurrection that they, than they were going to get. They were going to get very likely a really bad resurrection but because somebody was overlooking them and caring about them, they're given a resurrection unto life. So that's another interesting thing. Definitely interesting. 
The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 1.9 that there is a sentence of death written within every person. That goes along with this thing of the tares that have been sown within and, and, and all the connectedness that those kind of things mean because, uh, you know, those things are, ju- are, just, are just reeling. I mean, they're just real. Now, the Bible tells us that there is a time in 2 Corinthians 5.8, it says that we will, we will ever be with the Lord. And, uh, and then we know that there have been experiences. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15.54 through 57. 1 Corinthians 15.54 through 57, where dying bodies have been transformed. So, it is no small thing that God is revealing at this time. And we talked about women that received their dead raised again. We've mentioned that a couple times. Found in Hebrews 11.35 and that there's a better resurrection that was potentiated. And there were people that, that would not accept deliverance because they were determined to have that better resurrection. And then Paul says in Hebrews uh, 1140, he says, God did this, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. And, and this is so awesome, that there are people going way back in time that were ready to be absolutely coming to a perfection, but God held them back. And so some of these people were put into a suspense where it was an interlude type of thing where they were held and held back. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit. Uh, It's really, really super interesting, uh, you know. And, And this was done so that they, without us, should not be made perfect. And, and this is body ministry. This is, you know, waiting on others, going out and doing everything that you know to do, but then being held in suspense until the whole body can, can corporately participate in that better resurrection. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to know. It's a beautiful thing to be understood. It's, it's part of the... Colossians 2.12, being buried with Christ. Uh, it's uh, you know, all part of this thing I mentioned about the Israel baptized to Moses in the cloud. That's in 1 Corinthians 10.2. These things are superb. They're exciting. They're interesting. And they're meant for us to know because God is, is moving by His Spirit. He's moving all over the earth and he's wanting us to know these wonderful things. Now we know that there's so much to share with you today we probably won't get done during this session either. We're going to take a break right now. Janet Lee is coming.
Thank you again, Janet Lee. Thank you so much. And here we go, people. Now this is going to be this is going to be a cloudbuster. We're going to be talking about Malachi chapter four. M a l a c h i Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, just before the New Testament, before Matthew, the first gospel. This is an extremely, extremely important scripture. You will never be able to convert a Jew if you can't explain this particular episode. And it has to do with the prophecy of the coming again of Elijah. And the Jews accepting or not accepting. The Jews did not accept that John the Baptist was Elijah because they did not feel that John the Baptist fulfilled the prophecy in Malachi of the epic that was to happen when Elijah was to return to earth. And you know, they were looking for a Messianica, they were looking for a Messiah that was a, a, a warrior and that was going to deliver them from all of their, their, their warrior enemies. And they had these interpretations. They really felt that they knew the scriptures. And this is how serious, serious it is. We have a whole nation of Israel and the Jews who could not accept Jesus Christ as being the Messiah over this main issue of the return of Elijah that was to precede the coming of a Messiah. They could not receive. In addition, all kinds of followers that had been following Jesus Christ turned away from him when they could not feel a sat satisfied with this thing about John the Baptist. And when he was so emphatic about, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. So translation, interpretation, is absolutely essential. And if you don't have the right translation, you don't have the right interpretation, then you're going to have nations of people and scads of religious organizations who are going to be in air. And so when they believe so emphatically what they believe, and someone comes along and says something different, then they want to make them the Antichrist or the, or the devil. And, and they want to say, no, that's wrong. That's not what the scripture says. But it is what the scripture says. But it's not how they interpret and translate the scripture. Now let's look at this. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. And the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble in the day that cometh. For it shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it, leave, that, it leave, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Now they're expecting some kind of a horrible thing to happen in which 
fire is descending from heaven. Probably by the word of the Messiah, this Messiah that is to come, uh, you know, uh, that is to follow Elijah, and Elijah is to come back and with signs and wonders and be able to bring fire down from heaven and to do all kinds of things. That's what they're expecting. But they're not reading what the Bible really says. So let's look and see what the Bible really says about this fiery situation. Let's go back. A person should always have a contextual understanding. And so let's go back to the Scripture to see what the Scripture says about this. Chapter 3, verse 1 in Malachi, this is the preceding chapter. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight, delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? Who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now here is the explanation of what it says in chapter 4. The day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble in the day, in the day that, that, shall, that, that, that cometh that shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and leave them neither root nor branch. He is talking about the fiery ministry of Jesus Christ, and that no man ever spake like him before. And it says it right here. He's coming as a refiner. And, and it speaks of the refiner's fire in verse 2. And uh, it, it, it's, it is so clear, so beautiful in this reference. Now, let's look at a few other scriptures that will go along with this. Let's look at um, Revelations chapter 4 and 5. Uh, chapter uh, 4, verse 5. Revelations chapter 4, verse 5. Okay, here is what it says. And around about the throne, I see, no, wait, verse 5, sorry. Verse 5, chapter 4, verse 5 of Revelations. And out of the throne proceedeth lightnings and thunder and voices, uh, and they were, there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, we see in the ministry that there is described to be fire. We see that. While you're in Revelations, let's go to Revelations 1.15. Revelations 1.15 says, speaking of Jesus, say, first and first 14 says, hair and, and head and hair are, are white like wool, his, and white as snow, his eyes were as a flame of fire. His eyes as a flame of fire, his feet like a defined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many wonders or waters. Now, there we see 
a few scriptures that just absolutely, along with the Malachi scriptures, explain this thing about the fire and about the oven. That's what it was talking about, this fire of Jesus Christ, this, this refiner's fire, because that is what Jesus Christ did. He had very tough words. He called them serpents. Uh, you know, he, he, he called them white sepulchers. Uh, you know, uh, he was awesome in what he had to say. Now, what else was supposed to happen? Let's go on with Malachi 4. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and he shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Well, that's one of the things that Jesus really fulfilled. He had healing in his wings. His, his ministry of healing uh, was not comparable to any other ministry. He had an incredible gift of, of healing. And ye shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes. You don't get into ashes unless there's a fire. Under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. That goes right along with the scripture of Malachi 4.1. Of their, the, the, those that do wickedly will be stubble. Uh, it's just right there. It's just absolutely right there. Um, and ye shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, the servant, which I commanded unto him, Horeb, of all Israel, and the statutes and the judgments. For behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Now, let's look at Malachi chapter 3, 6 through 7. Malachi 3, go back a chapter, 6 through 7. For I am the Lord, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Sons of Jacob, children of the father Jacob. We got children, we got father. Even from the days of your fathers, you are gone away from mine ordinance and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But you said, how shall we return? Now, here we have this incredible revelation that ties in with this statement over here. And it says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to their fathers. And what this is talking about, it explains it. it it's talking about, you know, the, the fathers, that were into the father ministry. It's talking about the children that were born of these fathers. And obviously they have, they have gone apart. The, both the fathers have gone apart. The sons, the children have gone apart. But that's what it's referring to. And, and this is exactly what Jesus Christ was involved with. And here is what, what Elijah as John the Baptist did. Elijah as John the Baptist, 
baptized and anointed Jesus Christ and recognized Jesus Christ as Son of God when he says, I am, you want me to baptize you, but I am not worthy to stoop to tie your shoestring even. But Jesus said, go ahead and baptize him. When he baptized Jesus, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended as a dove. So that anointing of baptism by John the Baptist was the initiation of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that right after Jesus was initiated with that anointing, that that John the Baptist was arrested and shortly thereafter his head cut off and he was killed. Now how then does this fulfill this thing? Well, it fulfills Malachi uh, uh, 4 from the refiner's fire being the fire, the sons and the fathers returning to the sons and the fathers, how that could be done and the only way it could be done was through Jesus Christ. And so when he was anointed for the ministry, and that's when Jesus started his ministry, he really started his ministry after the baptism and after uh, the anointing that, that he had from John the Baptist. That ended John the Baptist's ministry, who had come in the spirit and in the power of Elisha. Elisha. Now, why did it have to happen this way? To fulfill the scriptures. What do you mean to fulfill the scriptures? Well, the scripture says that from dust thou wast taken, and unto dust thou shalt return. There is a law that the body which is corrupt, it sooner or later has to go back to dust. Now what happened? Elijah was taken up. It tells this story. I think it's First Kings, you know, and it, it tells the story of, of, of Elijah. We'll give you the scriptures here in a minute. And he is taken up by these chariots of fire, which were obviously the angels with their ziths. And they, they took him where? They took him to the father's house. They took him to the father's house. Now, what does this all mean? Well, this means that between the time of, 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 uh, of Elijah when he was taken up and the years before Christ, that was approximately 850 years. Now, the story of the ascension of, of, of Elijah is told in 2 Kings uh, chapter 2. So what happened was that Elijah went not as a dead person, not to be resurrected. He went in his body and he lived there on the, on the planet Artura, the father's house, and he was still alive almost 900 years later when Jesus was getting ready 
to start his ministry. So then, Elijah was put in a swoo. And that swoo held his body in a chamber of, of preservation and resonance. And then, he came as a prototee. Prototee means a prototype in the likeness, but not in the exact configuration, but in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. So then, Eve, she came back as Mary. Elijah came back as John the Baptist. Melchizedek came back as Jesus the Christ, and in Hebrew, it calls them both the king of righteousness, making it very clear that they are one and the same. But this thing that has to happen with Elijah is very important. What has to happen for it to be fulfilled? He has to come back and he has to die because he never died before and his body never returned to the dust. So he comes back in the prototee and he dies and his body returns to dust and it fulfills the scripture. When his body, that is the prototee, dies on earth, then his body in the swoo also dies. And it dies not as, as in Elijah in the totality, but as being a part of the prototype, because the prototype has perished. So then after Jesus gets into the ministry and later goes in up to the Mount of Transfiguration, Elijah and Moses are a part of that transfiguration. So even though Jesus has clearly said many times that if you will receive it, John the Baptist is the Elijah that was to come. Jesus knew that people were not going to receive it. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees did not. The Muslims did not. All kinds of other people did not. Even followers and disciples. Are you getting it? This is not a new thing. It's a special kind of 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 resurrection similar unto David's in which David did not ascend he was held in suspension he was to come back at a designated time the seal would be opened on that and he would come back how would he come back as David the Bible says he comes back as David no doubt he comes back as a renewed and 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 youthful David. But he comes back. 
Resurrection has all of those capabilities. Eve, she came back. She came back as the mother of Jesus. But in her prior life as Eve, she had been born of Adam and then taken by the angels and brought back and became his wife. Now she would come back and be Mary and reverse it, the mother who without a father gives birth to her son who in the other life was her husband and of whom she was born from. Now, this birth is incredible because the first birth was without a partnership. It was a virgin birth. This second birth in which she is involved in is without another partnership. It is a, a virgin birth. And these things of resurrection suspension produce these prototypes. Now, the name Kawa is described in the Hebrew text of the Strong's Concordance, number 2421, and the name is in there and can be read uh, with this special kind of spelling that has to be, has to be um, you know, fully uh, for, further uh, translated to English. But it, it's obviously the Kawa name. And it means to live, and it means to revive, and to show, which means evangelize. And there is a whole story, not today, but there's a whole story about this prototype and what the really meaning of that is, and that whole connection. But it is a similar thing that has happened to other people persons in the Bible. And there's more of them than we are going to cover here today that go into the swoo, go into the suspension, and then go out into another plane or another realm or another planet or another world, so to speak, not out of the universe, but a world of worlds within the universe, and, be, and become another entity that is really connected to the to the entity that's in the swoo, and it actually is that entity, but in a different body. No different than when Jesus on earth, the Bible says he appeared to them in other forms. This is a thing of trans, transfiguration. And it was that transfiguration that, that Moses and Elijah come back in the Moses form, in the Elijah form, And these things have to finish off. They have to finish off because it's part of the word. And so we could go on with this. It is sensational to say the least. But let's look at just a few scriptures 
that are so important for us to cover because it, it, it just is part of the sensation of God's Word. Sensation of God's Word is awesome. Let's look at Mark chapter 1. Let's just look at Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to read it because it is, it is a, an education when we read these things of spiritual things. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written. Now, that's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is connected to John the Baptist. It is written in the prophets, I will send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. And there went out unto him of all the land of Judah and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river of, of Jordan, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair, with a girdle of skin about his loins. He did eat locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than me, after me, whose latchet, uh, 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 after me the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down to unloose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, was baptized of John in Jordan, and straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened, and the Spirit, uh, uh, the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness, and he was there forty days, tempted in the, in the wild, but tempted of Satan. The angels ministered to him. Now, it's all connected with John being in prison. It's all connected then with him, with him dying. This is big-time gospel stuff, this whole revelation. It's just big-time gospel stuff, you know. Now, we know that if we turn to Luke chapter 1, 11 through 17, we have the angel that appears to Zacharias and he tells him that he is to name this baby John. And the people cannot understand it because one of the big things that they did in jewelry is that they had a family traditions and people carried on their, the tradition of their name. But here was a name not associated with any. It was just out of the blue. It was John. He was a call, that baby John. Now, that particular baby by the name of John was John the Baptist, who was... Elijah. And just as Jesus says, look, he says, I am two places at the same time. I am in heaven, and I am here standing before you answering your questions. What does that mean? 
What does that mean when Jesus came as Melchizedek? Where was Melchizedek right then? Was Melchizedek in the swoo? And then did Jesus come in the form that he came? With all that capability of appearing in different forms? So important to understand this. It's so important. It's so important, his ministry of the Father. So the turning of the, of the sons to the Father and the turning of the fathers to the Son could only be possible in Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus Christ would have the power to convey to these individuals both the Father and the Son ministry. For he says, when you see me, you see the Father. But I am also the Son. So there was a Father and Son ministry that was in him. And it represented singular and plural. Because he came to stand as a singular for the plural of the many. And so then you actually have this thing happening in one person. The only person in heaven or earth that this could have happened with because he was the Lord of hosts who had never sinned. And he came as Jesus Christ. Jesus meaning salvation, Christ meaning the anointed one, the Messiah. So he really did fulfill this whole thing about the scripture as it refers to what had to be fulfilled. He was really a refiner. He was really full of the fire of God and the Holy Spirit. He was the real Messiah and is the real Messiah. But people couldn't accept it of the Jews because they interpreted the scripture by tradition their own way and could not possibly accept that their, their interpretation and translation was in error. They didn't even really read the preceding scripture that would have explained it to them in the book of Malachi that gave those expected things in Malachi 4 that the Messiah was to have. Well, the beautiful thing about Artesia, it is a place of swoos. And I have seen that place. And there's this most beautiful body of water. And there's this crystal swoo. And there are these people in these bosoms. And these bosom swoos are where they are suspended. While their prototy is out ministering, perhaps on earth, 
perhaps in other places. All fulfilling the scriptures that have to take place because there is a destiny to that resurrection. There is a destiny. And that is that seal, the seal in every man's hand that the Bible talks about. Oh, my dear friends, there is so much in the Word of God. Now, I can see that I can't come close to finishing the other revelations. I would be here probably for two more hours. Maybe I could get it done a little less than that. But I'm going to have to take the rest of these revelations, which are just sensational, and forward them to next week because I'm running out of time. And someone might say, well, why can't you just go on and on? Why, why, why do you say you run out of time? Let me explain that to you. On some of these places where we transfer our videos, like YouTube and certain places, they have a limit of how long a video can be. And we've had to get special permission to do some of the lengthy videos that we have been doing. And so we can't just go on there and put hour after hour after hour because they won't be accepted to be put on as videos. And it's very important to get this word out that we have our ministry in a form that is an acceptable form for the media so that we can get this word out and people all over the world will eventually be able to hear these videos and this ministry. And so there are reasons why we have to use a time element and follow that time. Otherwise, it will lessen our capability. This has been such a super day to be able to have these two sessions. And they just seemed like they were nothing. I would love to have gone on and on and on. But the will of the Lord be done. God bless you for hearing this word. God will show you the truth as he has shown it to you and revealing it to you through these messages. And you will be set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. May God reach out to you now and touch you and heal you that need deliverance. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Let thy wings of healing spread out right now and heal these persons that need healing. Preserve them, God. Bless them. We thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.